Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're gonna shop left. I got your back, kid. I'll ask the guy behind the register. All right, welcome to Out of the Blue, the podcast that would probably order an old Milwaukee at a fine dining restaurant. I'm Jared Stormer of MazeandBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of MazeandBrew.com. Andy, you Russian cosmonaut being shot into outer space at tremendous velocity. How the hell are you, my friend? I'm good, man. Almost got in a fight in adult league kickball. Had to remind them that this is not NOM. There are rules. Um, so, you know, overall, good week. How are you? Hey, man, when those punk bitches test your virility, you need to come correct. This It may be adult league kickball, but rules are rules, man. If there's pride on the line, like we're not pushing 30, they can just go out the window. Come on. For me, it's adult league softball, but I'm not going to sit here and judge just because you prefer to use your feet and I'm a hand man. Yeah, I mean, we all... We all have our forte. Uh, Yes, we all do have our forte, and apparently yours is uh, altercations with grown adults at kickball. So to each their own, my friend. (laughs) Don't cross me. (laughs) I wouldn't dream of it, sir. All right, we are back this week. Moving forward with our discussion, breaking down uh, every game week by week. This week's Illinois should be pushovers. We'll touch on them. A couple uh, basketball commits, or at least one big one. Uh, and then, of course, our uh, entertainment segment. Very excited th- for that tonight. We're talking chase scenes. Very excited for that. Oh, baby, there's iconic after iconic chase scene. And plus, you know, there's lots of ties into the 90s. I mean, in our wheelhouse. Absolutely. And I don't know why we're doing chase scenes. Let's say it's in honor of Chase Winovich. Yeah, there's nothing else to do in Illinois. It's like, I mean, what are we going to do there? Like, no. Exactly. You know, you stir up some shit and then run from the cops. 
That's about it. That's what all you could do in Ohio, about? I assure you. Uh, <laughs> all right, so uh, started out, one of the big things, like to start basketball since, you know, we're a football podcast. We'll get it out of the way. But uh, this is not to be glossed over. Franz Wagner from Germany, uh, that might recognize the last name. He is Moritz Wagner's brother, uh, is Juwan Howard's first major commitment at Michigan, and it's a big one. Um, right now, 6'7", small forward, but can play all over the place, has great ball skills, number two player in Germany, probably a, a high four-star in the U.S., likely as high as a top 50 recruit, uh, and he's playing in a very, very strong league uh, against really solid, well-developed players, and he's one of the best players there, one of the most promising ones, so this is a big-time recruit and changes the way, the outlook of next season. Yeah, this is, I mean, this was one... Howard could not afford to miss on. You know, it's early in his tenure there. They're starting to have like some initial practices. I'm not sure how the NCAA rules work with those, but they are having practices. You know, teams getting a feel for him, and he's getting recruits around. And this is big. This is huge for the program. This is huge for the future recruits to see that he's bringing in big time players. And um, Jawan Howard is starting to slowly, you know, creep up on other recruits' big boards. Like Michigan's in my top eight. Michigan's in my top twelve. And hopefully this kind of snowballs from here. But great get in Wagner. Absolutely. And I think we discussed it when Howard was hired that we didn't foresee recruiting being a problem. He's younger. He's played in the league. The kids might not remember him, but their parents probably do. So he's a, ki- a guy that can definitely connect with these kids. And it's, uh, it's, it's good to see that we were right about that. And he's following through with that. And this is a big one. This is a kid that can play probably four positions if you really wanted him to. Um, but definitely can play three. Um, I've seen some projections with him starting at shooting guard. He could start at small forward, but you got livers. Uh, so, so I kind of wanted to look at this projected depth chart here, and there's just so many ways you could go with it. But the way that I've got it right here, and stop me if, if you disagree on anything, at uh, point guard, Xavier Simpson starts. Agreed? Yes. Yeah, yeah. done. Yeah, that's done. Uh, David DeJulius and Eli Brooks will back him up in some order there. I think that that's pretty clear cut at point guard. Uh, but then things get interesting here, and uh, this was my best guess at it. A couple other people had this same lineup, but I'm guessing they'll go Franz Wag- Wagner. Uh, year one, he's going to start probably at shooting guard at 6'7", 6'8", almost. He'll probably end up at 6'9". He's only 17. Uh, that is a big shooting guard, and the kid can shoot. He can put the ball on the deck. He's a little more Iggy Brazdakis than Mo Wagner right now, I think, but... Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a big shooting guard if that's the way they go. What do you think about that for him? Or do you see him maybe being a small forward? I don't think it really matters. Like, Michigan could no. play the three-forward center lineup and, and work around Simpson. But Simpson's going to be the guy with the ball. He's going to be the primary ball handler. It's how he always plays. Yep. And he's developed this way. And just Simpson with the ball, having three like agile forwards around him with a Teske in the middle, you can do a lot of unique stuff with that lineup. Um, but also, Jawan Howard's not, I mean, he's not uncommon to having people like that big in positions. I mean, he had Jalen Rose at 6'8 point guard, for God's sakes, at Michigan. Very Jalen true. Rose is huge. <laughs> that is, that's a little over the top. Like, that's Magic Johnson, LeBron James, Ben Simmons size point guard. Like, there's only a handful of them. Uh, yeah, so I mean, it, it's going to be a very interesting lineup, and I think Wagner at the shooting guard, it, it kind of makes you go big, and you get some versatility in there. He'll probably be backed up by Brooks and Nunez in some order there. Uh, a lot of writers seem to be high on Nunez. I need to go back and watch some tape on him, but he's going to play a lot. Uh, so that means if, if Wagner's starting at the guard, small forwards is going to be Livers. He's going to start somewhere, and I mean, Livers can guard 
almost any position on the force. Another super versatile guy. So you got two six seven wings out there. This is almost built like an NBA team. Yeah, it was my exact thought. Like it's um a lot of position uh, positional versatility. You can't really classify it as like one, two, three, four, and five. You know, people can move around, and I think that only benefits this team. Absolutely, man. And then he'll probably be backed up. That's probably where you'll see Nunez is maybe small forward. Um, and then Cole Bahama is the, the incoming freshman. He's 6'7", 175, so another long, lengthy wing that can shoot. So um, a lot of these guys are going to get NBA looks just because they're going to be good 3 and D options, which is what the NBA has gone to. Um, at power forward, I'm hoping it's Brandon Johns. Um, if, if you're starting Brandon Johns, obviously that means he's had a breakthrough, and he's one of the highest-ranked recruits we got on there. So I'm pulling for Brandon Johns to start. He's that big body kind of he can muscle, out-muscle you and take the rebounds that Teske isn't getting. He could be a big boon for this this offense. I don't know how great of a shooter he is, but I doubt Beeline would have recruited him if he couldn't shoot. I don't think so either. And um, I, I, I'm, I'm with you, though. I hope it's him. I want to space the floor. You know, like I said, we hope it's the shooter, and we assume it is. Like, um, I want to spread everybody around John Teske and put one guy in the middle. Like I want to, I'd like to see this team play the up tempo with it. Just kind of let Xavier Simpson go, and I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I like it as well. And, and Johns would work well with that. If it's not him, it'll be Castleton or Austin Davis. I'd like to not see much of Austin Davis. Uh, Castleton would work there at the four, but I think he's also your backup center, so you're going to need him to play some minutes at the five. Uh, Teske cemented at the five. He's your starter. Him and Simpson, you can go ahead and and just chisel into stone, uh, and then Castleton probably backs him up. But a young and intriguing roster for Jawan Howard's first year, and they're not necessarily done just yet recruiting. So, Yeah, it's a nice early start. It makes you feel really positive about the um, upcoming season. Not a lot of experience, but more than I originally thought, having Teske, Livers, and Simpson back especially, just like a triumvirate there to kind of lean on. And a lot of this talent mixed in, I'm, I'm feeling really kind of optimistic for them. I mean, yeah. nothing like crazy, not like 30 wins optimistic, but I think it's going to be exciting at least. I think it'll be exciting as well. If uh, God, I wish the rule was in place that if you didn't get drafted, you could come back because Charles Matthews on this team, God, that's a lot of rotational length and shooting and playmaking. And I mean, that'd be a, that he'd bring the defensive intensity back with him and Simpson there on the court. So I really wish that that was something the NCAA would put into place, but to count on them to make the right decision is uh, probably, you shouldn't be too optimistic about that. Yeah, it's, it's never going to happen. Um, he hasn't been signed anywhere, has he? Not that I know of, no. I mean, you, he couldn't play in the summer league anyway, so he'll probably need to prove he's coming back and be able to come back and play first. I mean, Ali Abdul-Rahman's playing with Cleveland, so, I mean, he, and Matthews is a better overall player than Abdul-Rahman, at least for the NBA. And that's, that's crazy that he went from, you know, the best of the three Michigan prospects to currently playing for the same teams we are yeah exactly man it's I, it's all injuries with him because i think he'd have gotten a shot but uh all right moving on from basketball want to touch on mike dana a guy that we were excited about when he transferred from cmu but is finally starting to get talked about a lot we haven't really heard anything about anyone on the team this offseason usually you start hearing some names floating around like oh he's gonna be a guy um and sometimes it's true and sometimes it's not uh, but since Mike Sainer still, we haven't really heard of anyone, but that kind of has changed over the last couple weeks. Mike Dana's starting to get some hype, and if you go back and watch his tape, look at his stats, it's easy to see why, and uh, 
go ahead and cook up the spoon and put this directly into my veins. Maybe cut it up with some Comet, because I'm fucking ready. <laughs> Dude, anything. Everything Harbaugh said about him um, just kept coming back to how hard he works, how he carries himself. And like you said, just lying on the table, I'll snort it. I don't care what it's mixed with. I'll do it. Um, no, I... I'm ecstatic for Mike Dan. This could be a game changer for a lot of a lot of reasons. He was dominant last season with nine and a half sacks, fifteen tackles for loss, and I mean it's not like people didn't know he was there. He was being keyed upon because this CMU team, let's face it, you know they weren't <laughs> they weren't Alabama last season. No. So, um, <laughs> so no, this is welcomed news, and um, even if he doesn't start. It just adds so much depth to that defensive end position that we can rotate people in there so you're not getting tired in fourth-quarter games against Ohio State or up-tempo offenses. Right, absolutely, but he's going to start. I think you can go ahead and put him in pen at this point. Uh, it's looking like it's going to be him and probably pay on the other side, and I think those are probably our most two talented edge rushers. But then look at the depth that that one move bringing him in, in gave us. Like I didn't really realize that it was a sneaky point of concern, but uh, behind Hutchinson, you don't really have much else there. Uh, you can move Uche back, but we're going to be counting on him at linebacker a little bit. So this frees up everybody else. Um, this allows Uche to go to that linebacker position where they think he can have a, a bigger impact, and there's certainly more need there. Um, so, yeah, what it does for the rest of the defense, but then what he's going to be able to do as a player. Uh, Harbaugh said he's stronger than they thought. Uh, measure measurables wise, he's 6'2", 257, uh, which compares favorably to F uh, Frank Clark, who honestly never really lit it up stats wise, but was extremely effective for Michigan. I could easily see Mike Dana having a Frank Clark like effect with all, all the laptop stealing and choking of females. Yeah. Besides all that, yeah, I would love to see um, a lineup that Nick Bumgarner actually tweeted out of Dana Pay Kemp Hutchinson. That is fast. That is fast and powerful. Or, or you could even put Hutchinson inside and pay outside, because I think both of those guys are big enough to play inside or out. Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be a ton of fun to watch. And there's a ton they can do with their defensive tackles, too. I mean, you expect Dwum 4 to be back. That gives you Dwum, uh, Dwum 4, Kemp, and Jeter now, who they're saying is coming along. So I mean, you got rotation there, and you can put Hutchinson inside. You could probably put Pay inside. Pay is a monster. That yeah. picture that came out of Quiddy Pay, I would not. I mean, that man looks like he would instruct you like how to change your oil, bench press about five hundred pounds, go slam an old Milwaukee, and like smoke a cigarette in bed. He looks fifty, but he also looks <laughs> horrified. Is that, you talking about the picture of him in a bra? That's the one. Even with the bra, I'm like, nah, I don't, I don't want no smoke, man. <laughs> Nothing to do with him. But then you mix in people like the Ben Mason wild cards playing tackle. Like, I mean, this defensive line could be the fastest Michigan's ever had, and that's saying a lot. I don't know about fastest, because I think last year just having Gary there really elevated that, and you still well, have a lot when of... he's healthy, and then, like, yeah. you can bring in Uche now, and, like, you've moved one four off there. That definitely increases the speed on the line. Yeah, that's true, but when we had Mohurst and Gary, Mohurst had one of the fastest first steps I've ever seen. That was a fast D-line. He did. They were fast, but I think Gary was – I don't think Gary had that great of 2017, to be honest. No. No, not really. I mean, he didn't have that. I mean, he had a good career at Michigan. He had a good career at Michigan. I'm not going to sit here and pour on him. No, no. You Were were you the one that was going back and watching saying, uh, I think he should get a little more respect now, retrospectively? Yes, absolutely. In re-watching games, uh, he's 
ab- he's so close on so many plays, I don't know how he doesn't get the sack. But he's pushing the quarterback to a place where he doesn't want to be, and that's usually into the arms of somebody else. Like Josh Uche had seven sacks last year, which was a great output for us. We haven't really had that kind of output since Brandon Graham, which is kind of surprising to me and really needs to change. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, Gary is responsible for several of those sacks. Okay, yeah. It, I, I haven't gone back to my rewatch yet. I'm trying to push it off to August, but it's going to happen sooner. But I remember you and I in the moment saying, like, um, he does a lot of things that don't pop on a stat sheet. It's not sexy. You can't pull numbers off. But that was kind of my argument a lot of the time with Jabril Peppers in 2016. He did a lot of dirty work for people. And uh, Gary does the same thing now. Um, also, we forgot to mention uh, the potential – availability of Luigi Villain this year, defensive end. That's one we can't forget, if healthy. I mean, he's been talked about for two years as the guy. And uh, if healthy, that def- those defensive ends are going to be something to watch. That rotation would be insane if Villain's healthy. If everyone's healthy on that defensive line, it's top three in the nation. Absolutely. I mean, it's definitely right up there, especially with like teams like Clemson and stuff rebuilding. A little, right. I mean, quote-unquote rebuilding. More reloading. You know what Alabama's got. I mean, Clemson's going to be right up there. Ohio State's got some guys with just having Chase Young on the line is, is pretty big. But then you got to put Michigan right up there. A bunch of guys that are going to rise quickly this year. And Mike Dana, uh, I think, is, is top of that list. Uh, moving on, Phil Steele, who is a guru of college football, the man that goes print while everyone else goes digital. Uh, he has Michigan number three behind Bama and Clemson. He has us running the fucking table. Uh, I think you and I are both on the same page here about not letting expectations get like that this year. But of course, here we are preseason. It's July and that's out there. So I want to get your thoughts on that. Does that kind of put the target back on us immediately? Is the the under-the-radar thing over? (laughs) It feels like it's slowly getting there. I don't think it'll be at a fever pitch till the middle of the season. The AP rankings where everybody's going to come to. Um, By any off chance, do you know what Phil Steele said in 2016 about Michigan? Uh, No, but I could probably find that. Continue with your thought, and I'll uh, use the internet to find the answers. I got you. Um... No, that is honestly surprising. The fact that he has Michigan running their table, uh, spoiler alert, I don't have Michigan running the table. (laughs) I love the confidence, and I'm starting to think um, maybe I'm not valuing Josh Gaddis enough. Maybe Phil Steele seeing things objectively that we're not. Only teams Michigan's ranked behind are Alabama and Clemson. Um, Other teams for reference, Ohio State at 6, Notre Dame at 9, Michigan State at 13? Yeah. I'm interested by that. I wanted to touch on that one as well. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I don't know. Um, I'm not out on Brian Lewerke. Uh, some Michigan fa- uh, Michigan State fans are talking about Rocky Lombardi being the guy. But I think Lewerke can bounce back because I, I really don't think he's like a bad quarterback by any means. Um, but uh, 13 seems high. Uh, Nebraska at 19 seems ridiculous. Yep. Penn, Penn State at 20, Iowa at 23 feels about right. But um, – that's Michigan's schedule minus Nebraska this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's a nice, tough schedule for Michigan to run through. So, I mean, we're going to find out what they're made of, if they are the third best team. Absolutely. And uh, I definitely agree with a couple of the points that you wanted to touch on there. OSU at six feels – I'm fine with that. Uh, Michigan at three, to be honest, uh, feels a little high to me. Where would you have Michigan? About five. I'd probably I, have I Oklahoma. Go, I, I'd go seven to nine. Yeah, I'd have Oklahoma ahead of us probably. Um, that's one team for sure. But, I mean, I, I get where they're coming from, but at the same time, 
the end of last season is too fresh in my mind, so I, I can't go that high. Um, OSU at six feels right. Notre Dame at nine feels right. MSU at 13 is too high. There's a quarterback controversy. We don't even know which one of their two bad quarterbacks is going to be playing, so how are you going to have them at 13? Uh, they return a ton of talent. I don't want to get too much into that. We're going to break them down when we get to that game. Uh, but 13 seems high for MSU, but the pieces are there. Uh, Nebraska at 19 is ludicrous. They won four games last year. I don't know how you're going to put them above Penn State, who's been doing this. You know, Now they seem to be regressing, Penn State that is, and Nebraska seems to be rising. But why would you start them at 19? If you're confident they're going to get up there, start them outside of the top 25 and let them get there. It, it seems a little silly. Like, we watched Nebraska. We were at the Nebraska-Michigan game, and they just look completely inept at times. And I get it. They strung together a couple wins there. But they won four games, and two of them were against, like, Division two schools that, I mean, just now started letting men into the facilities. <laughs> so, it's uh, – 19's a bit of a stretch. Bit of a stretch when at one point in that game, it was, like, going into the third quarter, I think. And it was – Michigan had, like, 255 yards, and Nebraska had negative five. Took a picture of the scoreboard, and I was just laughing uncontrollably at it. And they, I think they gave them like they, they gave them like five yards just because they felt bad. Yeah, there's like, like this is getting Jam ridiculous. Scores running up, so it's a little bit one sided. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Penn State twenty feels uh, out of respect just because of all the talent they have there. Uh, James Franklin, um, we have a lot of thoughts on him as a head coach, but um, you can't knock him as a recruiter. So that feels like a respect pick. And Iowa twenty three. Feels like a staple. They'll be between 23 and 15 all season. Guaranteed, yeah. They might drop out, but they'll end up right back around 23. They'll lose their bowl game. They'll win nine games. Yeah, uh, did you find out what uh, Michigan was in 2016? Uh, I did not, but he did predict OSU to to win the Big Ten that year. So he didn't pick us as the winners. So at least, I mean, he's he's one of the most accurate. <laughs> uh, I'm not even going to say, no, tape for expectations, let's... Let's keep, let's keep it rolling. Don't want to talk about Michigan. I agree. I don't, want to st- I don't want to start. I see it in your eyes, and I can yeah. hear it in your voice that you're getting excited and ready to, to just inject it all into your bloodstream. But It's not August. I can't start spewing just outrageous takes. I want to keep the audience at least with us till the month of August. August 1st, I'm going to log on to Skype, and you're just going to look like Doc Brown, like hair going. I was like, Marty, I haven't slept in three weeks. <laughs> True Wilson's going to rush for 1,500 yards. Do you know what Quiddy Pay is? <laughs> 1.21 JJ Watts. That's what he is. Andy, are you okay? <laughs> I'm great. I'm living. <laughs> <laughs> is that cocaine on your mustache? No, it's whatever the Mike Dana powder is. That's what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Been cutting it up all week. Oh, man. All right, so I got uh, one more quick segment for you here. Or maybe it's not quick. We'll see how much you want to talk about this. But who are some make-or-break players? This year, or it's a make-or-break year for them, rather. Uh, who, if they don't get playing time this year, this might be the last time they get a chance to see significant playing time. There's a couple on the roster, and some of them are a little sneaky. Uh, but I wanted to see if you had any players that you were thinking of, like, man, if he doesn't break through this year, that might be it for him. Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I off can... the top of my head, I'll, I'll give you one first. Okay. Um, Brad Hawkins. Brad Hawkins has played some and has been in and out. But with the arrival of Dax Hill, that playing time could be completely evaporated. And if not Brad Hawkins, uh, Jalen Kelly Powell, um, a highly touted guy when he came in, big, versatile. Um, If he's not getting on the field this season, I wouldn't be surprised to see his name in the transfer portal. 
I agree with both of those picks. Safety is, I got a list here, it's heavily mentioned there. You could probably put Jameric Woods on that list too. Because yep. if Dax Hill comes in and wins it immediately, and then Jordan Morant's coming in, these guys might never see the field, honestly. Because, I mean, Jordan Morant, I'm really, really high on at the safety position. Um, and, I mean, yeah, you could you could play nickel. Jalen Kelly Powell probably play some nickel for us. Hawkins could play some nickel. But you're not going to see the field as much. So, yeah, one of those three guys is definitely going to be an odd man out. Uh, I would probably bet Brad Hawkins. Uh, it feels like it, too. Brad Hawkins... It's it was really unfair to him last season because he came in against Notre Dame, made a bonehead play, but then played great after that. But people just kind of wrote it off as like a terrible game. That kind of became his mo. It was like he'd make one really bad, egregious play, allow a touchdown, but then play fine. So if he can get that out of his way, he could be a more than quality starter. So I, I'm really kind of pulling for Hawkins. Yeah, same here. I mean, he's converted uh, for one, so you know it takes time to learn that. Plenty athletic. I mean, he probably starts at safety for a lot of teams in college football. Yeah. So, I mean, the the talent is there. Um, all right, I got a guy for you here, a guy that has finally started to pick up some mentions, but we haven't seen yet, and that's Donovan Jeter. So Donovan that's my Jeter, next one. yeah, he was part of that 2017 class, so he's got a red shirt in there. And so he has time, I will say that, but with like Maisie Smith coming in, Hutchinson's emerging already, Pay will probably come back next year, Dwumfor could come back, no, yeah, Dwumfor could come back next year, I think, did he redshirt? I think he did, keep going, I'll look it up. Okay, yeah, if you get that, um, I mean, Kemp can come back, I mean, there's depth starting to be built at defensive tackle, and then Chris Hinton is coming in, you're not taking that guy off the field once he gets in there, some other guys I'm high on. So Jeter, it's good that he's being talked about as a guy, but if he doesn't break through this year, I could see him getting passed over. Now, Dwayne Forrest, it's his senior season this year. It is his senior, so he played, man, he must have played as a freshman a couple games. That's surprising. He did play it against Hawaii a little bit, and uh, that was it. That was before the, the, the new freshman rule. Wow, down. man, that's a shame. We should definitely have him for another year. Um, I have one for you, and it's going to come off as a little bit of a surprise. Um, Tariq Black. That makes sense. Not on my list, but that makes sense. Because he's one of my favorite players for no reason. Yeah, but I mean, I mean uh, for obvious reason, watch Florida 2017. True, true. Um, you know, Tariq Black is outstanding, but he's had injury concerns. Um, Donovan Peoples-Jones feels like the number one guy on the team. He's definitely had the most like overall success with punt returns, receiving, the whole, whole deal. Uh, Nico Collins has come along. But now you're getting the Ronnie Bells, the Mike Sainer shows, Giles Jackson's coming on, all the Johnsons coming in in this recruiting <laughs> class. I mean, um, there's a lot of slot depth there, and now we, we know what our split ends feel like, and it's like, could Tariq Black be getting swallowed up? He very well could. He also could explode and be a first-round yes. draft pick. Absolutely. <laughs> like that's where that's kind of where he's at. I mean, he's a tough one to predict. Uh, which makes predicting that wide receiver depth chart so difficult. If healthy, Tariq Black's probably the most well-rounded. Donovan Peoples-Jones, probably the most athletic. Nico Collins, probably your best 50-50 guy. I'd say Donovan Peoples-Jones is best well-rounded, just because yeah. I've seen we've seen more we've of seen everything it. he can do. Fair enough. I'm okay yeah. with that. Uh, I've got one here that's going to seem outlandish, uh, but I think it could be a thing here with the Gaddis move, and that's Sean McEwen. Sean McEwen was an excellent, is an excellent blocking tight end, not a great receiving threat. I don't think we're going to be doing nearly as many two tight end sets 
and I think we're going to be throwing the ball more. So I think Eubanks is probably going to be your preferred tight end in a lot of passing situations. McEwen will be in there running situations. So he'll see the field, but with Mustafa, Eric All, and some of these other guys we're bringing in, I think his chance to really cement himself as a good tight end and like, you know, a guy that's going to get a lot of reps and a lot of targets, I think this is his year. If he can't prove that he's a reliable receiving threat, I think he'll get passed over by some guys. Uh, you're dead on with that. That's perfect. And I think you can also start to, not yet, but you can, there's a little whiff of lumping Mustafa Muhammad in that with the rise of Eric All. Like, he's another guy that could get jumped up because we're not going too tight anymore. It's just not that kind of offense. I mean, we've modernized and, you know, the positions are becoming very scarce. So that's another guy you could put in there. I have one for you that's fairly obvious. Um, two of them, actually, both on special teams. Brad Robbins. Quinn Nordine's the one to watch, though. And, I mean, <laughs> no chagrin of ours. We, we would more than drive him out of Ann Arbor. Um, Jake Moody's come along and appears to be a stud. Came in last season and was just fantastic. Will Hart emerged as one of the best punters in all of America last year. So, Brad Robbins and Quinn Nordine, I believe, were the number one kicker and number one punter in the 16 and 17 class, respectively. So, wouldn't surprise me to see a move. That makes perfect sense. I think you're absolutely spot on, especially with Nordine. Um, I mean, if you come in this year, I mean, you might not even get a chance. If Moody performs well, I think you got to go in with him as your starter. Absolutely. I mean, there's no I, – I hate when I hear that. But, but Quinn Nordine's leg talent. I don't care if he can't make a field goal. What does it matter? matter. <laughs> See how yeah. fast it was going? I mean, yeah, granted, it hit the replay booth, but – He had some of – I forget what game it was. Might have been Penn State or Wisconsin. He had one of the worst misses I've ever seen. I just watched it. It was Wisconsin. Oh my god, it was terrible. I mean, there was just like I didn't know what was happening. It was bad. Joel Klatt, who was a friend of Michigan and always really kind to Michigan on the announcements, like, what was that? Like, <laughs> he was not kind to that kick. Yeah, when you make Joel Klatt say what the hell, like <laughs> that's all you need to know about that field goal attempt. So. Wouldn't be sad to see him go. Uh, do you have any others? Uh, yeah. Uh, this one I don't know about because he's only a redshirt sophomore, but Chuck Filiaga, we're bringing in some offensive line talent. He still hasn't cracked. Granted, he's behind Bredesen right now. He's the backup left guard. So that's a questionable one because if he's backup left guard, he's in line to start next season. Uh, but with the guys we got coming in, that's not guaranteed. But uh, one that I will definitely say is Luigi Villain. Um oh. You know, we were just talking about him. We're obviously very high on him, but he's been with the program now for two years. We haven't seen anything. His body's there. Um, if he can stay healthy, yeah, you got to imagine he's going to work his way into the rotation. But we've got, once again, defensive end talent is a strength. And we don't necessarily need him. Uh, Dana will be a one and done. Um, we won't get Dana for more than one year. Uh, Hutchinson will be back next year. Pay will likely be back. Um, we're bringing in a, long, a lot of long... Long guys coming in, very Chris Wormley-esque guys that we're bringing in. Like Julius Welshaw, Taylor Upshaw already on the roster. Right, you're bringing in guys like Mike Morris. And uh, there's no stud defensive end recruit. Uh, Hinton will probably be a tackle. So there's no recruit coming in where you're like, oh, once that guy gets on campus, it's over. So it's not out of the question. Valaine could not see the field this year and come on next year. That's possible. But at the same time, like, he's got to try and break through this year and at least get rotational reps. Yeah, I mean, I'm 100% with you. Like, if he can't get on the field this year, same situation with Donovan Teeter. Battling injuries, you know, 
getting behind one of the deeper positions at Michigan, it's hard to overcome that. Yeah. Um, my, my last one would be Andrew Stuber Ooh. at uh, tackle, just because if he gets passed up by Jalen Mayfield, I don't know if he's going to reclaim that. And I, maybe he can kick out to the other guard, uh, other tackle once Runyon's gone. But um, I don't know. It's an interesting. It's a very interesting situation. I don't know if that would rub him the wrong way. I could see it happening. I don't think it's likely. But I think Andrew Stuber and that tackle battle is something you should keep an eye on. It is, and we've recruited tackle very well. The kids we got coming in this year are in this recruiting class won't be here for a while, so you can't count on them for a while. But you got Trent Jones already there, um, and he's highly recruited, six six kids. So I could see that. That's not bad. Uh, one that I definitely should have mentioned above some of those other guys is Jordan Anthony, especially with the linebacking crew that's coming in. Um, and Jordan Anthony, they felt they had to move Josh Uche to linebacker because. They don't really know what they have in Jordan Anthony yet. Uh, highly recruited kid, four-star kid, seems to be very quick. But the linebacker position is getting to the point where if you don't make it this year, there's guys coming in next year that are going to be ready to ball. And you have to assume you're going to hit. I hope we hit on Cam McGrone. I'm just assuming we're going to hit on Cam McGrone. Yeah, I am too. And uh, I have an article coming out next week. Be sure to check that out, macebrew.com. Uh, Cam McGrone's <laughs> feature. <laughs> Kevin McGrone's featured in it, but yeah, I really expect him to hit. Um, one more for you, um, Jared said in, uh, you know, hold on to your butt for this one. So I already gave you Tariq Black. Now I'm going to give you a guy who's not going to see the field, but I could see him getting swallowed up in the depth chart, and that's Joe Milton. That was kind of one I was waiting for you to get to. If you didn't mention it, I was going to say it there at the end. It's because we already talked about him in our potential transfers thing. Yeah, just, with if you look Cade at, McNamara, J.D. Johnson, J.J. McCarthy, already run DMC there. You can just it, – it kind of feels like the writing may be on the wall. It does. I, God, I don't want that to be the case. I was having this discussion with my stepdad, and we were trying to just work out the mathematics of how he could stick around. And I'm like, well, next year, you've just got to get him reps. Like, you've got to get him on the field. And he was like, how do you do that? How can you possibly not start Dylan McCaffrey with what you've seen? And I, I, I have no answer for that. I have no answer. Now, Dylan McCaffrey, when he just came in against Notre Dame, when we couldn't afford any, any screw-ups, and he's performed admirably. And then throughout the season, just taking on hits, playing through the broken collarbone, one more play, like – Everything Dylan McCaffrey's about is what we're about, and he's the kind of kid that um, I'm not gonna like. We're not big enough to where it's ever gonna be a soundbite, but Dylan McCaffrey has stuff that could like you could see like a percentage of Heisman material in that kid. He's that kind of talent. Yeah, no, it really is to that point, and the hype level for all the quarterbacks we have on the roster and the one we have coming in, it's starting to get a little bit over the top. And honestly, like we would have been better served as a program maybe long-term if Shea would have gone pro this year. Um, but for this year, I think Shea's the guy to run this offense. And, uh, yeah, we'll get into that. And I've got a couple hypotheticals for you. And then we're going to well, – Sorry, I'm sorry to cut you off, but this recruiting class and all the quarterbacks coming in, I think, reaff reaffirm that Jim Harbaugh remains the quarterback whisperer. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. And – yeah, I mean, with the development of Shea Patterson, and I want to get into that a little bit more after the break, what we kind of expect from him, um, but with the development of Patterson and Rudock, and he still hasn't had his quarterback recruit play a full season yet. Still, this is going into year five, and he still hasn't had one of his guys play. And when he does, we're all just on pins and needles for that to happen. Like, that's going to be the awakening. Um, and we're hoping that's the case, but the recruiting... Um, and the notion that he's a quarterback guru, that certainly has not changed.
Yeah, so, I mean, people can say what they want about, you know, Gaddis effect and Harbaugh doesn't have it and this, but no. he's They're still buying what he's selling in loads. Same here, man. But, uh, all right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. All right, we are back. Welcome back to Out of the Blue. We are continuing on with our opponent breakdown, moving through the season. Last week we had Iowa. This week we are talking Illinois, which is apparently still a football team. Uh, they play somewhere in the state of Illinois. Don't know where. Don't really care to find out. But that being said, that is Michigan's opponent. And you want to start us off, man? Let's talk about this game. They play in Champaign, Illinois, by the way, which is a fantastic little town. Um, yeah, um, Illinois is one of the worst teams in the Big Ten. They are in contention to be the worst team in the Big Ten. Their last three seasons have been three and nine, two and ten. Last year was an up year at four and eight, except two of those wins were Kent State by a touchdown and Western Illinois, who Michigan kicked in the teeth. Actually, I'm sorry, they did Western Michigan because they played real teams. Western <laughs> Illinois, 34-14. Okay, that was two of their wins. So, no. Illinois is terrible. This is a bye week. There is not a chance in hell Michigan loses this game. I mean, I don't care how much they're improved, and 4-8 and eight last year was an improvement. They doubled their win total from 2017 in doing so. Uh, so, for some reason, Illinois fans are thinking this is a resurgence, and they've been awfully chippy on social media. I don't know why, after 4-8, and eight, their defense was ranked last season 128th in the nation. There are 130 eligible teams. <laughs> I don't know where this is coming from, but they seem to think that they're going to win this game. It's in Champaign. To be fair, I actually knew they played in Champaign. I just wanted to be condescending and rude. Uh, yes, great, good. Sure, yes, good, continue that. Uh, <laughs> so, so this game will be in Champaign. That's not going to matter. I mean, their stadium holds about a quarter of what the big house does, and it will probably be a third Michigan fans anyway. So I don't expect that to matter. Um, as far as what they're bringing to the table, uh, Matt Robinson will likely be the quarterback, or they've got Isaiah Williams. He's more the playmaker. I'm actually leaning towards Williams based on what I've seen. I tried to watch some footage of Illinois, but uh, my eyes started bleeding and I threw up and passed out. Um, but I think Isaiah Williams, he's more of a, a running quarterback. So we have had some fits with that in the past, but like we were saying, we got a lot of speed at defensive end. Um, Brandon Peters is on the roster. That's something. Brandon, Brandon Peters could be the quarterback. Him. I don't think he can though. A grad transfer, immediately eligible. Ah, very interesting. So it'll probably be Williams or Peters then. Peters is definitely the most talented quarterback. I can say that without a doubt, without a hesitation, is their most talented quarterback. Um, all right, little game here. I want you to rank these quarterbacks one to five, okay? Oh, gladly. Brandon Peters, John O'Corn, Tate Forcier, Nick Sheridan. Nick Sheridan is last, but... <laughs> Barely. John O'Corn would be next. Brandon Pete. This is tough now. Now you're getting into guys that have each thrown for about 168 yards. Uh, we'll go Brandon Peters for a college quarterback. Tate Forcier showed a little bit more, had a little bit more film. And then who was my other choice? Who am I missing? Is that everybody? Steve Three. Oh, Stephen Threet's last. Then Sheridan. Then O'Corn. Peters. Forcier. Okay. What do you I think? Guess, mine was about the same. I may flip-flop Peters for CA. Those were the only I mean, two, yeah. We're, we're splitting hairs at that point. Honestly, shit. 
if O'Corn hadn't had the Houston years, I might knock him below Nick Sheridan, to be honest. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the Houston years save him. Uh, if you're just talking what I witnessed, I do remember Stephen Threat, though, and John O'Corn was somehow better. Oh, I, God, dude, 2008 was a rough year. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if you glued the ball to the paw of a lynx and tried to have it throw it, it would be more accurate than what John O'Corn and Stephen Threat are capable of. I would take Brandon Peters blind in one eye over Stephen Three. I would take a baseball pitching machines that they were just forcing footballs through. I would take Mike Onwenu, a quarterback, over <laughs> Stephen Three. <laughs> take the ghost of Johnny Unitas. Over that. Um, but back to Illinois, they do have a good tailback. Uh, Reggie Corbin last year was the first running back since Mikel LaShore in 2010 to top 1,000 yards. Nothing to scoff at. Um, but just keep in mind, though, that last year, Illinois lost 63 to nothing at home to Iowa. Like, Ugh. at home, got Ugh. smacked in front of God and everybody. They're three fans. Um, so, no, Illinois is not good. And I expect Michigan to put a similar beating, not to that extent, yeah. but. It's going to be a beating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the offensive side of the ball for Illinois is where the only bright spots are, really. Um, they do return most of their offensive line, four starters. They got a decent tackle, could be an all-Big Ten type of dude. Uh, Alex Palta, Palta, not going to stop anyone, whatever his last name is. Um, so we'll see about that. They could be all right, but they're going up against a, a really tough Michigan line. Um, but on defense, uh, they fired their defensive coordinator, which is mandatory after finishing 128th out of 130. Northern Illinois was like 60 spots better than them. Northern Illinois. Um, and so Lubby Smith just said, screw it. We don't need a defensive coordinator. I'm going to do that. Uh, while his beard made me be majestic, his decision-making, questionable. <laughs> it's an interesting game because it's two uh, former NFL head coaches that have both been in and lost a Super Bowl. That is very true. I think that uh, the quality of the coaches, though, there's a big gap. Lovey Smith took Rex Grossman to a Super Bowl. I by remember. some grace of – I mean, that defense was otherworldly, and Devin Hester was also a god. But, um, yeah, Super Bowl nonetheless. But um, besides, you know, like having like a kind of like Greek god chiseled face and an exquisite bald head um, and a great name in Lovey, by yeah. the way. Let's just sure. – let's not, let's not gloss over that. Um, we won't. No. This uh, – this could be his last season in Champaign. Yeah, it probably is. I don't know who you're going to attract to that job, um, but you've got to at least get to a bowl game, and looking at their schedule, I don't think it's going to happen. So I, I see Illinois missing a bowl game again, Lovey Smith being fired. Um, that defense, I mean, you're not – even if you improve 60 places, which would be a huge improvement, you're still like the 80th defense – I mean, the 70th – Best defense. I mean, you've got so long to go in that way of the ball, and in the Big Ten, that's where most of the games are won. If you can't play defense in the Big Ten, you're not going to be a good te good team. So, all right, let's get predictions on this nonsense. All right. Um, prediction for me, like I said, it's, it's going to be a beating. And I've been trying to switch up my players to the game as well. So I'm, they're getting a – not – obscure yet but you know just to you know players you wouldn't think right off the bat you go with somebody else uh, michigan wins 44 to 3 they get a mercy three points for being at home and uh it's only because they're at home there's no other reason nothing else besides that um players of the game nico collins at receiver i think he's has a big game takes the top off a couple times like i said this 
defense is abominable. I mean, they are terrible. Um, and all of, uh, sorry, and as offensively and defensively, going Josh Ross, going to captain this defense in the middle of the field. It's I think Josh Ross has been the hardest hitter on this team, even with Devin Bush on the team. That says something. But um, yeah, I think he's going to light some people up this game. That running back may have had thousand yards last year. He's going to hurt for everyone this year. Man, does Josh Ross hit with authority? Yeah, it's just like, it blew us away. Like we had that conversation probably off air last year. Like uh, I mean, Devin Bush hits hard with a lot of velocity, but Josh Ross can pop you with two steps. He really can. I mean, he hits so hard that I feel like I need to go to a safe space, and that's not really my jam. No, and also, for reference, last year, Nebraska's defense was 94th. (laughs) My goodness. And they were 36 spots better. (laughs) I hope they return all their starters. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm similar with you as far as the score. I'm going to go something like, uh, I think this one could get ugly, even the fact that it's Illinois. But I'm going to temper that a little bit, and I'm going to go 42-10. to 10. Um, Part of me wanted to go something outlandish here, but I think Illinois will be slightly improved, just not very much. Um, if Brandon Peters starts, that could be interesting because there could be a little bit of a revenge factor. Um, but I don't know. He also has like the enthusiasm of a moth that landed in an ashtray, so I, I don't really know that we're going to see him all of a sudden wake up and just light, light the scoreboard up especially in our secondary, but could be an interesting thing to watch. Um, On defense, tough to say. I went Josh Ross last week. I like that pick. Makes a lot of sense. They're going to try and run the ball with Mikel Ashore. Um, I'm going to go Mike Dwum for. Not Mikel Ashore. He graduated around 2011 or 2010. I thought that was... No, that was their first running back to hit that stat since Mikel Shore almost a decade ago. Oh, all right, all right. What's Corbin, my friend. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't matter, don't you see? You remember Juice Williams and Rashard Mendenhall? <laughs> that was probably the last time they, they beat us, too, I imagine. Oh, God, that was – was that the ugly game? Like, no, uh, we won that 74-72 nonsense under Rich Rod. God, what what a shit show! All right, but I'm sorry, I digress. That's quite all right. Uh, on offense, I I haven't done it yet. Let's go the Charbonnet game. Charbonnet will have his day. It's gonna come eventually, and this could be a game where we're up twenty eight nothing quickly, um, and then maybe we just want to run the clock out. Charbonnet could go off for two hundred yards here if healthy, but that's for anyone, of course. Uh, so yeah, I think we're both of similar uh, mind and body, sound mind and body here, and uh, I like those predictions. I do too. You mentioned uh, the Brandon Peters revenge game, but I think that goes both ways. Imagine the Quiddy Pays and Aiden Hutchinsons of the world that wanted to hit him taking scout team reps last year, and you can't. Like now, you get to hit this kid. Very and true. It's a it's a person you know, so you always want to make it a little more. Su- it's a little sweeter. So um, I expect that Michigan front seven to be keyed in, and the secondary just the same. Get to pick this kid off. He did enough in practice last year, I'm sure of it. But now you can do it for real. Yeah, he's got an arm. He's got the talent. He doesn't have much uh, help on Illinois right now. But, I mean, if he plays the best game of his life, they'll still lose by three scores. Yeah, and um, Michigan's schedule is, is – the beginning of it right now is pretty favorable. Like We have the Middle Tennessee game, blowout. Army, Wisconsin, back-to-back. Army will be sneaky tough. Yep. Wisconsin's kind of rebuilding. Then we get Rutgers, which is bye week. No, nothing else needs said. Iowa, tough game. Yep. That will be a tough game. But then you bounce back with Illinois. Like even if the scenario of a trap game exists for Illinois, I like think Michigan could show up 
without pads and still win this game. Yeah, I think Iowa's more of a trap game than this, but they're going to see Iowa coming, especially if they get off to a hot start. Um, there's no way. I mean, there's just no way you lose to Illinois. If you lose to Illinois, the wheels are falling off, and it's we got way bigger problems at hand. If we lose to Illinois, you and I will do shots back and forth in this podcast until it's just incoherent. Yeah, until one of us passes out on the keyboard. All right, you have a yeah, deal. And then the other one will just keep going. And the other one will just keep talking about nonsense. You ever seen the Fisher King, 1991? <laughs> Great. All right, what are your thoughts on civil engineering? I'm a big fan of Hans Carl Mandel. <laughs> Who's your favorite civil engineer? Oh, <laughs> Start going off the deep end with everything else. You know, one time I named all the countries in the world for no reason. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, that's, no. what, that's what I'm gonna start telling people. I'm like, you ever heard of Lesotho? Yeah, you haven't. Now you have. Get on my level, you ignorant piece of shit. <laughs> that's what it'll turn to. Um, but yeah, Illinois is gonna be a blowout. A week after this is at Penn State, which could be a night game. So we'll preview them next week. But um, hopefully, it's an interesting game having Illinois sandwich right in the middle there. It'll feel like a, I mean, not to be, yeah, to be disrespectful, it's like a scrimmage. Yeah, basically. And I'm also very interested because I know both of us have said that we don't see Michigan going undefeated this year. We said it in this podcast. Uh, so we're going to have to predict a loss here for one of these. I'm very interested to see where you go. We haven't talked about that offline, nor should we. No, we're not going to talk about that because I want to surprise you. Um, over under two losses right now, or push. Uh, I'll say push. I'll say there's going to. I mean, because there's going to be a bowl game loss in there um, at some point. I don't think we're winning the Natty. There's no way we're running the table and winning the Natty. So I would say push at two losses. One of them in season, and one in a bowl game or potentially a championship game. I haven't decided yet. What about you? I'm the same. I think it's going to be a two-loss season. And I think uh, one regular season and uh, bowl slash if they if Michigan made the playoff. But, I mean, you know, expectations are low. We're, we're, we're staying with calm. It's yes. July. Yes. We have, to, we have to pick a date and time where we make our official predictions, and this isn't it. This is, this is off-season predictions, all of this stuff. Once we yeah, get a little closer – before the season, we will make our official predictions on everything, and we'll put that in stone so that we can be called out if we're wrong. But, I mean, when does that happen? <laughs> Never. <laughs> All right. The season is fast approaching. Why is the summer flying by compared to last summer? It seriously is, man. The older you get, you'll find that's the way that it goes. It's just uh, one minute, you're like, All right, May 17th, this is great. Summer's on the verge. And then next moment, you're making chili for college football kickoff. <sighs> But I'm ready All for right. it. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready for it, too. I got one hypothetical before we go entertainment tonight. We, You and I bring it back to the 2016 team as much as possible. But I want to take it back to the 2016 uh, Maybe my favorite team of all time. You can bring one player back in their prime at Michigan to this team. Who you taking? And if my you need heart. some help with the roster, I got you. Oh, you my are. Heart. You got it. There's, You're going Mike Hart. There's no other question like if you have that workhorse stable of a running back right there that you can turn to to pound the ball, this team is just – that offense is unstoppable. Spread I'm, out with Josh Gaddis. You give um, him, who knows how to work with power backs like he did at Alabama. You work with, you know, the Josh Jacobs of the world. Mike Hart is a thousand times better college running back than those guys. College running back. And um, completely changes the scope of the season. If Mike Hart was on this team – it's over. I don't care about – I mean, other positions, yeah, but put my car in here, locked and loaded. 
I mean, I think there's an argument at least. It's it's hard for me to really uh, push back against that because it's at a position that we've definitely described as being in need. But there's definitely some guys that you have to at least give pause to. Lamar Woodley, David Harris, and Leon Hall uh, really ring a bell. Any one of those three would absolutely make this defense elite. It would be top two defense in the nation again if you take any of those guys. David Harris would probably be... At, the, at a position in need, you put him, if your linebackers are David Harris, Josh Ross, and Kalik Hudson, Jesus. Was Brandon Graham and Prescott Burgess were on that team too? They were. They? Brandon Graham was young though. Brandon, I think Brandon Graham was like a freshman in that year. So you're taking them in that year for this exercise. Okay, okay, I got you. But, um, it, but if you could get Brandon Graham as a freshman too. <laughs> still, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Um, Lamar Woodley is a good one. That is a good one because you put him on the edge and that's, um, immediate game record, like game that is record. what we <laughs> we aspire Mike Dana to be half of Lamar Woodley. He'll have a tremendous season. Um, but man, it's still Mike Hart for me. It's maybe just because I'm like I'm more of an offensive kind of guy, and with um, without Chris Evans, you need something there. You need somebody to kind of raise and nurture the young running backs on that roster. A junior year, Mike Hart. Oh man, man. he was so good. Yeah, no, I mean, and he doesn't miss time or he never missed any time i mean if he sat out it'd be for like a half so that is a workhorse guy that you can count on and then you're just shading him with turner and charbonnet and i mean how insulting are we to not say uh jake long no believe me i thought about jake long but i think my mind went to the defense is probably where we need a player at um and your mind went to position of need at tackles i think we feel okay but jake long would absolutely change the scope of that offense too pound for pound probably him or lamar woodley was the best player on that team yeah and then you'd be already people like alan branch as well <laughs> sean crable like sean crable is very versatile but you're not taking him over david harris in a position of need yeah. and leon hall i mean i i have been saying that i mean we're putting a lot on ambry thomas's shoulders when we haven't really seen him play a full game where leon hall could come in and lock down half the field and that now you have to throw it lavert hill that's messy that's a good that's a very good point plus you're a corner kind of guy so I'm i always trust guy. your opinion on that yeah. so I think for me, it'd really be between Leon Hall and Mike Hart because both are more positions in need right there. Um, also at the linebacker, like you said, yeah. with Harris. But um, I think they could survive without the the Woodleys of the world because defensive end is feeling like a strength now and the defensive line as a whole is. But corner and running back especially. Yeah. Like they should take away half the field or do you, you want your offense to be completely unstoppable. And we saw the national championship last year. An unstoppable offense can – Seems to be doing it all now. Man, I really liked this question and the discussion that followed, and uh, you've changed my mind on this. I would probably value it corner and running back, so Hall and Hart in some order there. Um, flip a coin. Either way, you're going to help this team immensely. Oh, yeah. I mean, you put, like you said, you put Leon Hall out there, then it's like you have to throw it in the Vert Hill, and uh, good, good luck. That's a mess. If you have to, if you're like, well, we can't target Leon Hall, I mean, it's he was Jordan Lewis-esque good, and Leon Hall went and had a decent career in the NFL, and I remember him being a very, very, not quite a shutdown corner, but like David Long good, maybe a yeah. step above how good David Long was last year. Very, so. very, very serviceable, but man, I'm watching Mike Hart highlights tonight. 
yeah, I'm, I'm going to turn them on right now. You just go ahead and finish this out. But no, oh, no, actually, no, because we're going to entertainment segment. I'm excited for this entertainment segment tonight. Uh, we're talking chase scenes tonight. And chase scenes is kind of uh, wide in its range. Because, I mean, is a dogfight a chase scene, technically? I would say for this exercise, probably not. But we're going foot chases and car chases in this one. When you're running from Mike Vick, it is. Yes, <laughs> that's correct. My God, man. Let it die. It happened in 2012. Oh, man. That being said, uh, yeah, we would just want to talk about some of our favorite scenes. There's some scenes that, like, are going to be glossed over in this, because as we always do, we like to talk about the ones that we've seen that are maybe a little less obvious. Like, obviously, Bullet and The French Connection have two of the finest chase scenes you'll ever see, but what more needs to be said on those? Yeah, we're not going to touch on those. You're not here for the favorites, the front runners. You're here for, you know... The fan favorites, the popcorn picks, and also, you know, just some obscure ones that we can argue over. Correct. Uh, you want to start us off, brother? Absolutely. Um, I'm going to start with a car chase. There are foot chases or even train chases in some movies. I mean, you can go across a whole bunch of different avenues here. I'm going to start car chase scene. I'm going to go very obvious off the bat. Uh, remake 2003, The Italian Job. The Mini Cooper chase scene is one of the best ever filmed. Highly entertaining. Great Jason Statham. Great Seth Green. Great Wahlberg. Great Ed Norton chasing in the helicopter. Yeah. I mean, fantastic. It really is. I mean, they're going down into the subway on the train tracks. They're all over in the Mini Coopers. They're really, they, they kind of changed the way you looked about looked at what you could do with a chase scene because of the tight spaces they were getting in. Everything was very tight and manu like the very tight maneuvering. Unique in that way. As it was, it was very claustrophobic. Very claustrophobic. Yeah, good, good word. And uh, Charlize Theron, great in this, and she's going to pop up again. Oh, foreshadowing. Oh, well, I might steal that one from you because I know obviously what that is. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm going to go with one. This one's a little off the wall, but it's one of my favorite chases because of how unique it is, and it's a foot chase, and it's The Departed. Uh, you don't think of this as a chase. But that's what makes it so good is when Leonardo DiCaprio is trying to get his eyes on Matt Damon's character, when William Costigan, my boy, is just creeping through the alleys out of the movie theater, it adds a different element because it's not that he needs to shoot him or fight him or run him off the road. He just needs to see him. So he did some very unique things with him trying to look in mirrors and look in glasses where you're, you're chasing him and you're pursuing him, but you're trying to get an angle where you can just see who this person is. It's a it's a chase scene unlike any other. Martin Scorsese is a god. And the way that, that whole scene is shot is just remarkable. Like you feel like you're leaning, like you can get a glance of him, like you know who it is, but it's like he still sucks you into that just immersive POV shot from Leonardo's like perspective. I mean, God, great choice. Thank Very you. underrated choice. Yeah. I, I definitely wouldn't have thought of that. Um, next one, I'm gonna go with a chase scene as well. Uh, you could go with most of the movie in this one, but I'm going Apocalypto. When he, when he escapes and is running from the men, I mean, it is – the whole movie is just an adrenaline rush. It is. But, I mean, running from the Jaguar, running from the like, people throwing like, spears and arrows, shooting arrows at him, great chasing. The way Mel Gibson shoots it, like I didn't think we are going to be giving Mel Gibson a lot of props on this pod, but, I mean, it is brilliantly shot. Um, for a movie that speaks no English, you don't need any plot except this guy's running from them. The end, and it's fantastic. I'm gonna watch that tonight because it used to come on, and whenever it came on TV, I would watch it till its finale because it's just 
it is almost a perfect movie in its simplicity. And God, why are we a pro Mel Gibson podcast? Like, I get why we're a pro Mike Dana podcast. That makes sense to me. But pro yeah. Mel Gibson, we're usually very anti-pedophile and racist and bigot. Yeah, very much so. We do acknowledge that the Holocaust happened. Yeah. So, I mean, Both we're at least intelligent. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> Apocalypto, man, is, like you said it best, it's... It just excels in its simplicity, and this movie's perfect. Yeah, no, I love that choice. Another one that didn't make my list because I didn't think about it, and that's what's great about these chase scenes is you can get a little off the wall with some of your picks. Um, my next one's kind of off the wall because the chase itself is limited, but the, the, the way they filmed it and the fight scene that happens in the cars is unlike anything I've ever seen, and that's the Raid 2. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen either of the Raid movies or if, if the listeners have, but you need to watch these. Directed by Gareth Evans, but it stars two of the best martial artists alive, both the Raid and the Raid 2. Um, and it's action unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, I think it's a modern-day diehard. Raid 2 is somehow better than the Raid 1, and there is a car chase towards the end um, where in order to get the shot, the cameraman dressed up as one of the seats and held the camera in so he looked like a seat. It is the most impressive one-shot I've ever seen of a car chase with a fight happening where the fighter transfers to a different car and the camera follows him and doesn't break. I've never seen anything like it. Wow. You've, you've easily sold me in a couple sentences. That's you know, never seen the raid, honestly. I think I've heard of it before because of like the choreography, brother. the way it's shot, but no, I'll, I'll check that out. Oh, brother. Check them both out, one right after another, and you're going to just say, holy shit. They're the best two action movies since Die Hard, I think. I like it. Oh, man. Um, all right. Well, my next choice, I wanted to go with, like, a heist choice. Like, I like the town chase scene when they're running, the guys whipping the minivan through Boston and over the bridge. thought about that. I thought about Baby Driver, a recent one. But I decided to go with the opening scene in Drive with Ryan Gosling. I mean, just the – oh, my God. That movie is exquisite. It is dark. I mean, don't watch it if you don't want to see a guy's head get smashed in. But if you do, by all means, great. I do. And um, the movie is fantastic. But this opening scene kind of goes forgotten. The way he just nails every aspect of it, the time, the watch, the gloves. Gosling's one of the best working today. Um Beautiful scene, beautifully done. Feels very modernized and very real, so it really puts you in the action. And I love it, man. One of my favorite movies. I absolutely agree, and I do happen to like watching people's heads get smashed in. That's why I'm a Josh Rosh fan. So uh, I'm all for it, and it's on my list. I was going to discuss it. If you didn't, happy to discuss it here. And I think you said it perfectly. Very modern, the way it's filmed. It's not flashy cars. It's not Lamborghinis. It's not over the top. It feels like this would be what would happen if a real driver, like a guy that could actually drive professionally, was in a car chase. And I really love that, that realization of that. So great choice. Gosling, beautiful to look at. What's there? What else is there to say? Uh, I'm going to take one that I'm going to steal from you before you do it. And that's Mad Max Fury Road, the entire goddamn movie. The whole thing is a chase. Even yep. from the beginning, the opening scene is Tom Hardy beginning to be chased. Then he tries to escape, he's being chased. Then after that, they get out of there, they're being chased. The whole thing, and that's beautiful in its simplicity. It's a chase movie. And pick any sequence in this. Um, I'm going to pick the opening attack on the, um, on the fuel truck. Okay. driven by Furiosa, where they drive into the uh, tornado, the sand electric tornado thing. I mean, that's where you get a, what a day, what a lovely, lovely day. That's where right. you get that. Um, 
you get the introduction of those pole, whatever they are, the guys on the poles. Um, it's just so unique. You've never seen anything like it against that red backdrop and the colors and the steampunk and then driving into that gigantic storm. I mean, when I first saw that in theaters, I think that was the most jaw-on-the-floor moment I, I can remember. And the fact that like 80% of this movie is practical effects is just mind-blowing. Um, yeah, this was going to be on my, uh, my list. I think this is the best action movie of the 21st century. That's true. Like, You're right. I'll put this ahead of The Raid and The Raid 2. I got excited. I know you did. But like this one, like you, you, you came to your sense. Like Mad Max is just like a flawlessly executed action movie, lived up to all the hype. And I think Charlize Theron with this, with like Atomic Blonde, and as her resume builds, it's kind of like this action hero badass. She becomes the first woman that ever really challenges Sigourney Weaver as like the all-time holder of that title. Beat belt. me to it. I was gonna say, yeah. Like she's like she's not she doesn't have it yet because like Sigourney is like alien and aliens like no matter what live in lore. But she's building a resume where she's coming on it, and it's never like a gratuitous shot like Avengers Endgame. Furiosa is a badass and one of the, the best characters that's been written in the last several years. Absolutely agree, man, with everything that you said, and I agree with your ranking. That'll be another pod. All-time female badasses. Can't wait for that. That's a good one. All right, so you got that one from me. Um, I'm going to stick foot chase then. Um, it'll be my first but not my last time mentioning a James Bond film. I'm going with Casino Royale, the parkour-induced opening scene where he's chasing him. is so good. And just like the juxtaposition of him finessing everything, but then Daniel Craig just smashing through walls and just trying to use like whatever he can, his brute force in different ways to overcome obstacles. I mean, it's just fantastic. And from that moment on, you knew that Daniel Craig was a force to be reckoned with as Bond. Uh, you stole one from me, but uh, I stole one from you, so I suppose that we're even. That one was on there for me. One of the best foot chases I've ever seen. Um, and yeah, really kind of brought parkour into the modern lexicon people started doing it all over the place i hurt my ankle attempting to do it at a park uh, much to my chagrin but it happened and uh i mean it was just cool man i mean and i love the competing styles where the one guy's very uh, light on his feet and he's jumping through the small thing but then daniel craig's like no 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 i'm going right through the drywall what a great entrance to show what kind of bond he was gonna be like, I'm not the finesse Bond. I'm not necessarily a Connery Bond. I'm a brute force Bond. And I was like, fuck it, I'm here for it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I, I'm with you. Tried the parkour stuff. Didn't work. Not not in the slightest. The guy makes it look so easy. Oh, and the way it ends, too. Like, in the embassy, like, shooting people and all that. I mean, just fantastic. I yeah. mean, fantastic. That's why Casino Royale is the best of the Daniel Craig Bonds and top three Bonds all time. Yeah, except the last 20 minutes, but we'll neither here nor there. <laughs> I don't hate it upon rewatch. I see why they did it, but that's a different pod and a different discussion. Uh, moving on, I'm going to steal one from you, I assume, because I know how we both feel about this. And this movie could have one of the best foot chases and one of the best car chases. The best of the Fast and the Furious movies by a long shot. It's Fast Five, the bank vault chase, where they, get, uh, where they hook up to the bank vault and the Dodge Chargers, and Vin Diesel's in one, and Chris... Uh, or Paul Walker's in the other one. And, I mean, those are the guys that carried your franchise. And to me, that is the pinnacle moment of that franchise. When you get those guys, you know, we need a driver. Two drivers that don't flinch, that know the right <laughs> move. And Paul Walker, you know we got that. And then you see them executing that that dope heist. 
I mean, it's you get the heist factor. They're destroying buildings. It's the opposite of Drive in that it's so far over the top that, I mean, it's, it's definitely ludicrous, uh, who is also part of the chase. <laughs> but um, but it's so movie, good. They fully lean into being 90s, over-the-top action. And Fast Five is good. Just a flat-out good movie. It's a good movie. But it leans into what it was trying not to be. And then, like, because Fast One is... It's point break with cars. That's what it is. It's, it's exactly what it is. Yep. And then Too Fast, Too Furious sucks. The third one was even worse. Four, they're trying to get the gang back together. But then five, they're like, let's bring The Rock in and let's kick the action up. And then it just fucking works. No, great choice. Yeah. Fantastic. Ab, what do you think about that foot chase in that too? Because that almost made my list with The underrated. Rock. Yeah, underrated. Very underrated. If that you count the fight point. as part of that chase too. That is a good choice. Now, I have to say this one before you even think about taking it from me. This is my number one chase, foot, car, train, plane, anything, ever. That is Goldeneye. That is when James, that is when Pierce Brosnan's taking the tank down the middle of the street chasing a car. Nothing will ever top the sheer bliss I felt when I was eight or when I was 27 when I saw that scene. I love it. Pierces, for whatever reason, hair flowing beautifully, unflinching, head above driving the tank, perfect chase scene, over the top. One of my, probably my all-time favorite Bond, to be honest. That, that Bond movie, not Pierce Brosnan's Bond. Yeah, it's hard for me to vote against that one, and it's it's the part of me that wants to choose a good movie over the part of me that just loves popcorn. and The part of me that says Independence Day is the best movie ever made. Um, that's what's competing there because Goldeneye is so much fun. Love that scene. Love the choice. Um, that's a movie that if it's on, I'm not turning it off at all. No, not missing, not missing a beat of it. I mean, and a lot of stars came out of it. The guy who plays Boris Alan Cumming went on to win like a bunch of Emmys for The Good Wife. So good on him. And Sean Bean, one of his best villain roles. The Turn. Oh man. Oh man. He uh, auditioned to play Bond in the Bond right before that. Living Daylights didn't get it. Comes back. The next Bond is the villain. Who was before him? Dalton. I don't remember if it was Roger Moore. If it was Dalton, but yeah. I think it was Timothy Dalton, and then Roger Moore, and then uh, George Lazenby, and then Connor. I don't know why I know all the Bonds, but hey. I know all the <laughs> names. I don't know the order. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you seem to have the order, so we'll just go with that. Um, all right, I'm going to switch it up on one of mine because I like that you're you're going a little bit uh, obscure there. That was a really good one. I didn't think about that. There's so many good Bond chase scenes. Uh, honorable mention to any of the Bourne movies. Uh, ultimatum especially. Ooh, that ultimatum was good. I was going to say supremacy especially in the cab. That cab goes through fucking hell. That's how good that trilogy is. And honestly, overlooked now. It's yeah. underrated. It is. People are just like, oh, just another spy series. I'm like, it was a great spy series. Like, just as good as Mission Impossible. Just the more serious version. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I agree with you in full. But I'm going to go with, it's tough, because there's two of them in trilogy of my, probably my favorite movies. Uh, there's the Raiders of the Lost Ark chase scene, which is so iconic. So good. That one's talked about a little bit more, so I'll go with Last Crusade the second best of the Indiana Jones movies with Sean Connery when uh, Harrison Ford is on horseback pursuing a godforsaken tank. Is there anything more American than that than a, an American man on horseback with a whip pursuing a goddamn tank? <laughs> Dude, the Crusade uh, Raiders argument is one of my favorites to have because I feel like I can be on either side of it without any, trans like any hard transition. Over which is the better movie? 
Yeah, I'm I'm on that side. I, wow. I can flip flop either one because I got introduced to Indiana Jones with Crusade first. I don't know if that had something to do with it. Good. But like three, I I can't remember another trilogy. I mean, maybe start no, where it's like one and three are that good. Like because Temple of Doom, yeah, but one and three of that trilogy, God. Temple of Doom picks up steam. You just got to get through the first half hour. Dude, my, one of my hottest takes, I think Kingdom of Crystal, whatever that movie was, is better than Temple of Doom. I hate the Temple of Doom. All right, that's going to do it for Out of the Blue. <laughs> that wraps us up here, guys. <laughs> get the fuck out of my house. Dude, Temple of Doom is so bad. The movie is trash. It is not. It's just because he included that shit actress and she gets way too much screen time in the first 30 minutes. You got to get through the first 30 minutes. Trash. Tra- I mean, granted, both movies have several flaws. God, they suck. Um... A question for you. Think about this. Is Inception a chase movie? They're being chased through in the beginning. He's always Dom Cobb's always on the run. He's on the run when he meets Eames. They're on the run in every dream stage. You're doing a decent job of convincing me, but it's a bit too meta for my liking. Yeah. It's interesting, though. They're, they're literally on the run the entire movie. You never really think Well, that. if that's the case, then The Fugitive's a giant chase scene, and that's a way. That's probably a better movie, pound for pound. It's yeah, close, yes, though. Yes, it is. It is. The Fugitive is exactly God, that. God, I love it's, Inception, though. Yeah, I do love Inception. But God, The Fugitive is no, absolutely a chase movie. You have okay. Sam Gerard, for God's sake. All sakes. right, fair enough. Well, I mean, that's that's if we're going to get into that, then we can get way too abstract with this. I mean, that's bringing in all sorts of different movies. That's then. why I'm here, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> You're just ruining my night. Now my mind's going a million miles a minute. <laughs> no, I just, I just, I thought of that one though when you brought up a uh, Mad Max that the whole movie is a chase. And there are movies like, like The Fugitive, but Inception was one I feel like you never really think of as a chase movie. But, like, it has all the different elements of one. You know, like, at each stage of it, there's a different chase. I wouldn't consider it a chase movie, but you can see the argument. I see the argument. I won't agree, but, yeah, I see where you're coming from there. Um, Matrix 2 has an interesting chase scene. I try not to acknowledge any of the Matrixes besides the first one. Second one has that cool highway scene, but we don't need to get into that. Uh, who went last? You got one more for me? Two more for me, whatever you got. Nope, that's it for me. I ended on gold. I think I had Bourne Supremacy. You touched on that. Um, Probably my favorite Bourne. But um, like you said, we need a whole podcast that's dedicated to that trilogy. Honestly, we do. Have you seen the movie Ronin with Robert De Niro? No, I haven't seen Ronin. It's got one of the best chase scenes, and we didn't acknowledge it. And uh, it is good enough to get acknowledged right up there with uh, French Connection. And just at the time, um, especially since they brought in real stock car drivers, so they actually got up to 120 miles an hour, whereas most chase scenes, they don't get above like 60. Uh, These guys were moving, and you can see it in the Ronin chase scene. Highly recommend. The movie itself is good. The chase scene is great. Okay. you have any obscure off-the-wall picks before we wrap it up? I feel like I already hit my obscure off-the-wall picks. Blues Brothers is certainly not off-the-wall. Um, the Departed was kind of my very clever pick. I could sit here and try and think of something, but I mean, The Rock. The Rock, yeah, that's a good that's one. A good, that's a really. I mean, Michael Bay's best movie. That, that's because The Rock is just yeah, not only fun. Like it's like you're watching. Like this is kind of like good. Dude. Ed Harris is in it. Sean Connery's in it. Nick Cage, peak Nick Cage is in it. Peak Nick Cage, dude. Oh my, yeah, that one and another Michael Bay entry. Uh, the Bad Boys chase scenes they have. Some of those are, I mean, Bad Boys 2, they get crazy. Coming down that mountain. Yeah, Bad Boys 1 has some good ones. So Michael Bay, 
Is Armageddon just one big chase scene? I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> On tonight's episode, <laughs> Gone with the Wind, a chase movie? We're chasing down asteroids is what we're doing next. So uh, just before we move on, are there any foot chases? Because we were obviously more thinking along the lines of vehicle, but I feel like there's definitely some foot chases that we've missed here. Any of that, that jump off the page for you? Um, an obscure uh, – this is – it's not like an outstanding chasing, but it's one that stands out to me just because I love this movie. Uh, Men in Black 1, Will Smith is chasing the alien through the streets. Sure. Yeah, like he goes through, hops on the car, rides it, then it ri- then it climbs up the side of the building. He runs all around it, right up to the top, pulls the gun on I me. Mean, kind of underrated. Like, it feels pretty good. I was talking about it, I'm thinking of it, like, that's a good chase. <laughs> it really is. Uh, yeah. one for me. Yeah, that's not bad. Uh, yeah, I don't really have a ton of other foot chases. Um, it'll be an interesting, I'll, I'll think about that, and, and maybe we'll come back on it at some point, because... There's so many out there that it's tough to be like, wow, what specific one? Oh, uh, here's one. How about Captain America Civil War, Black Panther and Captain America pursuing Bucky Barnes? Yeah. That was a pretty good one where you got the black. That's like your first introduction to Black Panther of him jumping on cars and stuff. That was pretty sweet. I feel like we're going to be missing some obvious ones that we're going to text about in like an hour and be like, how did we forget this one? Oh, I guarantee it. I'm sure there's an instance of like a helicopter chasing a hovercraft that we're just looking over with a horse involved or something. I don't know. I mean, we can talk about Back to the Future 3 if you want, but. <laughs> <laughs> what was that movie where they raced an ocelot and, a, and an ostrich? What was that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Now, there's, there are a lot of good chase scenes out there. Yeah. Um, well, uh. But- what was your what is your favorite? If you had to go with one, if I had to go with one of what we've said, if it's a foot chase, it's the parted one because of how unique it is. Um, for a vehicle chase, I will probably go Fast Five. Fast Five. It's just fun. Of the ones that I said, Mad Max Fury Road is the best overall. Um, but just for the one limited chase scene, I'll go that. But while admitting the Mad Max one is probably better. Yeah, Mad Max is the greatest. Let's put a period on that. That's why it's pointless to say. Yeah, so mine's GoldenEye, though. Like I said before, just hair flowing in the tank, done. It was him, too. That was no stunt double. That was Pierce in a goddamn panzer. Yeah, and like you said before, like there was like, what's more American than riding a horse and chasing a tank? What's more British than just driving a tank down the middle of a city? Hair flowing in a suit? <laughs> Hair flowing in a suit on the wrong side of the damn road. Like, <laughs> I doubt him being on the wrong side of the road is what the authorities were worried about. Like, hey, hey, buddy, you're on the wrong side of the road. Well, I'm just talking about Britain in general. Okay? Right. Yeah. You lost the war, so you're forced to re- you're relegated to drive on that side. Yeah, I think breaking traffic ordinances was the least of their problems. What gave it away? The tank. <laughs> <laughs> it was a hint. alright man that's going to do it for us tonight always a pleasure make sure you like share subscribe download reach reach out to us on twitter we're always looking to interact with the fans Uh, I'm Jared that's Andy this is Out of the Blue we'd like to remind you that wherever you go go blue